Okay, Mark chapter 11, got a lot of content. We're going to finish off the whole chapter today, God willing. Well, we have to, because when I make the homework, I base the homework on a certain section I think I'll get done. Now that we're kind of doing homework and, and you know, looking at that on Wednesday, I'm kind of locked into what I'm... So, like I say, there's a lot of, con, uh, you know, a lot of stuff today, so I want to get at it. And what I'll do is, like usual, I'll talk fast and I want you to listen fast, okay? But let's pray. We always do well, uh, Father, to come to you and invoke your blessing on your word. I don't think we're ever going to amount to anything as Christians if we don't take your word very seriously and, and believe it to be your word. But we're here, Lord. We, we, we take your word seriously. We live by it. We love it. We can't get enough of it. And so, Father, with those you know, right attitudes in mind, I can't help but believe that you'll bless every time we open up and, and look to you for guidance, for wisdom. And so, this Sunday being no exception, Father, I pray that you just illumine our hearts, give us understanding, give us wisdom, give us a blessed time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended with verse 11 last time. Jesus entered in Jerusalem into the temple, and when he looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with his twelve. So verse 12 now, and on the morrow... So that would be Monday, seems to me, after the triumphal entry, which we pretty much know to be Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because of the palm branches and stuff like that. And there's also coats thrown down. We don't call it Coat Sunday. I always wondered. Anyway, on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Now, we can preach myriads right here. A lot of words on the God who is hungry. <laughs> it's an incredible thought to me. Jesus is like us in all things, except sin. But it's no sin to be hungry. Was he hungry for more than food? I think so. I think there's some symbology going on here. Otherwise, you're going to have struggle with Jesus just having a, he's having a bad hair day. He's hungry, sees a fig tree, doesn't know that doesn't have figs on it, and then curses it, destroying property, somebody's, right? Why would he do that? Well, let's read and let's unpack, because I think there's a lot more here than meets the eye, from my way of thinking. So he came to Bethany, he was hungry. Incredible. Seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came. If haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Okay, what's that all about? Well, let's keep reading. And they come to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to cast out them that sold, and brought in the temp- bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. He did this early on in his public ministry. We read about that in the opening chapters of the book of John. This is the second time that we know about that he did this. Zeal of thine house is overtaken. We read that this morning in Psalm 69. He would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called all nations, of all nations a house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. He took two verses there and he mashed them together. But he can do that. It's his word. Um, My house, uh, we call a house of, 
of all nations a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. If we had time, we'd go there. God's speaking to the Gentile nations. And he says, the stranger that's you know, attached themselves to Israel, you're, you'd be just like sons. Uh, you know, and he, and, he, and he promises them blessing. And he says that my house, the temple, is a house of prayer for all nations. Read here, all Gentiles. That's what's being talked about. God isn't exclusive to Israel. Never was. Never was. Um, he said to Abraham, Abraham, and you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. The Gentiles were not an afterthought of God. Yeah, I'm going to save the Jews. They're my chosen people. Ow, oh, I probably should do something for the Gentiles too. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you glad? I don't know if we have any Jewish people with any Jewish blood here. I don't know. If y'all ran your DNA and found out zero Jewish blood, whatever. I does it matter? I, I mean, it would be a blessing, I, I suppose, but it's a blessing now that the God of the whole universe loves me without, as far as I know, even a drop of, gen, uh, drop of Jewish blood in me. Incredible. Again, God so loved the whole world. His, so he invites all. You have made it a den of thieves. Now that comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, and it means what it means. It, 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 he's quoting from Jeremiah, because it was the same in their day, and he says, is it not written? So he's taking two verses, putting them together, and saying, this is the problem, the way I see it. And of course, the way he sees it is the way it is. Why is there a problem with the temple? Why has it become a den of thieves? Listen, they were pirates, and they were. The money changed. So you come to Jerusalem, and that's expensive, like it, like it was in the day it is now. Travel, it costs money. You have to you know, lodge, you have to pay expenses, you, you want to take a, a, a lamb from your hometown in North Africa, come all the way, Egypt, come all the way up to, and then they say, yeah, that's not going to pass inspection. You, you can't have that lamb, right? Now you've come with the coin of whatever realm you're in, and it's got a picture on it. So now it's an idol, and they won't accept it at the temple. They only use temple shekels. Not fine, right? So the exchange rate is about 15%. You say, well, that's not unreasonable. I think it's way unreasonable. So you're in a car wash, right? And they take like $20 is the most they take. But all you get is 100 So you turn to your buddy, so you get change for 100 He says, yes, I do. That's 85 bucks. <laughs> you call him a thief, and you'd be right. That's a, that's a, that's a, well, I've got to make a buck here, he says. That's the exchange rate. And you don't mind when you go to the bank and you exchange where well, they make a little bit. Because they're a business. They make a little bit. We, we all get that. 15%? That's piracy. What about the people who don't have it? They're still poor, and they're still expected to meet the obligations of, the, of making the feasts. Now they have to buy a lamb. They look at your lamb that you bought. It's not going to pass inspection. I just tell you, it's just not. Why? Because they have some lambs over here that they want to sell you, and the markup could be as much as 40%. A lamb probably is a, like, if you bought a lamb now, it probably cost you, like, I don't know, 200 bucks. Imagine paying 280 bucks for it. Same, same lamb you get away from the temple for 200. It's, 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 it's big business. And they got you coming, and they got you going. They're the only game in town. So if you're going to worship God, you're going to pay for it through the nose. You think God wanted that? 
Now you think, okay, okay, they, make their, they, they, they bring up a lamb, they feed it, they, they nurture it, they take care of it. You know, there are wages involved and stuff like this. So they, you want, but okay, $200 is, is or whatever. I'm, or, or the first century shekels, whatever, 200-ish. I'm just pulling those, these numbers out of the air. All I'm saying is that that's where you pay the 200. You pay, if you bought a lamb now, and it costs you, is what it costs you. And, and you understand. I don't have a lamb. I want a lamb. It's going to cost me money. But the, the, the insane markup, that's the part that Jesus is having a problem with. You guys are just pirates. You're just, okay, the people were, were out in the, the Dead Sea area. They've crawled up all the way, climbed up all the way to Jerusalem. They had to go in a caravan because there's thieves everywhere to get here where there's thieves now and... The, the, but the caravan's not helping because they're still going to get ripped off. Imagine. And that is the state of religion in some places. Listen, it's never been that way here, and people know. At first, I don't know how many years, I did this for zero dollars and zero cents gratis. Just. Now, I still have a full-time job. Uh, I get a housing allowance, and it's substantial enough. I couldn't live on it. And I, and I don't say it to your shame or anything. I'm just trying to say, this is not about money. It's not, I, I work more than 40 hours a week to take care of myself. And I would do this for free. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with that. And when we first started, we didn't take up an offering because we just didn't want people to be confused that, okay, time to get fleeced. Come on, take out your wallet. Now, the elders directed me, during the service, we will do this. And... I'm not against that because it's an act of worship and it's part of a worship service. Okay, most churches do that and people expect that that would happen and that's fine. I don't, like I say, I'm not, me and it's not me versus the elders in this. It's, it's simply not, okay? But I always want to let people know and I say very often, okay, you're visiting here, put your wallet away, put your pocketbook away, we got this. Why do I say that? I don't want you to think it's about money. It's about anyone being fleeced. Yeah, you know, we the lights cost money, and the heating oil costs money, and the plowing costs money, and we give to missions and stuff like that costs money. But you all understand that, and so you know, and it, it's not obligatory. We don't. I don't. Whatever's given, the secretary would have a record of that, and she'd give you that for tax purposes. And I have no idea what anyone gives ever. And I've always insulated myself from that because I think it's wise that, you know, like if I say this, this guy, and he's a big giver, he's going to get offended and he's going to go and take his tithe check with him. And I better not say that. I never ever want to be in a position of that. I don't know who gives and I don't know who does. And all I'm doing is the next verse and the next verse. And if I step on your toes, it's probably because you need to move your toes. And I'm not apologizing ever for teaching the Word of God. I just, just, I just say what I feel like needs to be said, let chips fall where they may. And I never go out trying to offend anybody. But the Word of God is offensive to me. Why shouldn't it offend you? <laughs> it offended me long ago. So I'm reading it and I'm thinking, oh, and it's boiling my potatoes. And I'm just sitting there and just, and what happens? I repent. And hoping that'll be the same with you. But anyway, I'm going sideways here. So he, there's a reason that he cleans, cleanses out the temple. 
Does this have anything to do with the fig tree? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. Religious people break me up. Is there a problem with what they're thinking? Destroy here, read, kill, okay? They're not going to ruin his reputation. They're trying to kill him. I mean destroy the nth degree. You have a, a newer version that might say kill. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. We hate the fact that people are astonished at his doctrine. We've got to kill him, says the religious people. He overturned our, our tables. Uh, question, what tables would Jesus overturn? In your life, would he like to overturn? That's not a homework question. It could be, but... When even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, this would be Tuesday morning, they saw the fig tree dried up by the roots. Does anyone know, understand what, what's going on here about the fig tree? Does anyone just say, yeah, I, I've got a kind of an, I'm not going to ask you to come up here and teach you, don't worry. Uh, but this is a question mark to a lot of people. This is the only thing Jesus destroys in his ministry. He's, he's a healer. He's a helper. He's not a destroyer. So what is, what's, what is he? Is he just like, oh, man, I was so hungry. Now, you're not. Is that Jesus out of control just having a? No. No. I think he's trying to point to something. I think he's trying to teach something. They saw the fig tree. It was dried up by the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Now let's put Jesus' answer aside for now. Why a fig tree? I think figs are symbolic of something. And I turn to the, what's called the law of first mention in Scripture, okay? Uh, you'll find out, if you want to know what something is symbolic for, something like that, find out the first time in Scripture that it's mentioned. Anyone know where figs are first mentioned? I'll give you a large, large hint. Fig leaves are first mentioned. Okay, it's uh, Genesis chapter 3. We can turn there. Yeah, I'm going to read fast. Though. Say, we still got a long way to go. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, you shall not eat of, the, of, of every tree of the garden, questioning the word of God. Well, listen, anyone questions the word of God. You're, you're already engaging in dialogue. That it's not going to end up well. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the, of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She misquoted, but that's fine. And the servant said, Well, it's not fine, but it is what it is. And the servant said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Direct, directly saying, con you know, contradicting the word of God. Satan does that. And Satan's emissaries do that. And I'm not talking about demons and devils, although they do. I'm talking about his flesh and blood emissaries. You're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof that your eyes will be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's the promise. Satan always lies. You think you know good and evil, and you think you know it better than God. Spit out the fruit. You don't. You don't. The whole world is about 
We know more than God about what's right and what's wrong. The whole world. It's called woke. And I can outwoke you. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, oh, I'm LBGTQ and all the other letters in the alphabet combined, and I'm okay with any kind of depravity and sin and wickedness and abortion on demand, and, and we get a right to tell you what you will wear publicly and how far you'll stand from. We just control everything and what... Excuse me? We think we know good and evil. We don't even know how many genders there are. The Bible says that in the beginning, God made them male and female. Let's see, male, female. Huh. What, what were they up to? 57 last time? Anyone counted? Yeah, we know good and evil. Or, Satan's a liar. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes and treated to be desired to make them wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. I always say the Puritans had a saying, you know, when Adam was away, Eve did play. Stop it. He didn't go, he didn't go anywhere. That's ridiculous. She did eat. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. You know, I, I've talked to men, you know. Oh, I didn't do nothing. Yeah, I know. That's kind of the problem. You're just like your great-grandfather Adam did nothing let the uh, serpent engage with his wife take authority show some backbone do something get out of you nasty serpent who do you think you are contradicting God's word show some some spunk or something Adam did nothing and that was the problem uh, she ate and so he ate and the eyes of them were open and they knew that they were naked oh that's not so good I can't, it's a public, I can't say too much on that. And what happened? They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons. Why? Because they're naked. Were they any more naked before they ate the, uh, the fruit than after? They didn't have less clothes on, but in a very real way, now it's a problem. And so they sewed fig leaves together. What's the symbolic of in, in your thinking, Adam? Oh, I'm glad you asked. They try to make themselves pre presentable to God. In a word, I use the word religion, okay? From the Latin, relingere, to relink. Can you do it? No. <laughs> They're fallen. They ain't relinking with God. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Now, if they are back together with God, it's God's going to have to do the relinking. We call that salvation. We don't call it religion. They're trying to make themselves presentable to God. I tried at that years and years and failed miserably, as you will. I, if I act a certain way, I'll be presentable to God. If I act this way, God will love me. And the big thing is, you're ridiculous and you're naked and you're poor and you're blind and you're broken and he loves you anyway. Somebody say amen to that. Somebody say amen. So I think the fig leaves are a picture of religion. Now, some people, let's go back to Mark, will make him a picture of Israel. Israel is the fig tree, and God curses it. Ugh. God curses Israel. In the chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans, now there's some obscure corner of the Bible. I don't believe in obscure corners of the Bible. And you didn't know it. Okay, we're talking about the book 
of Romans. Romans chapter 11, and I think it's verse 27. You, don't quote me on that. You can look it up. All Israel will be saved. This Jewish man, a rabbi, we know him as Paul the Apostle, wrote three chapters in the New Testament, book of Romans, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation explained, and he takes three chapters to show God's dealings with Israel. If God turned his back on Israel, would you want the salvation that God offers that's very... Uh, it, it's not eternal, it's... If you, if, you, if you keep all the do's and you don't do all the don'ts, it's not eternal life, it's conditional life at best. Would you, do you want that? If God can't keep his promise to Abraham, could he keep his promise to you? So anyway, here it is. Fig leaves, I think, are a picture of religion, trying to make yourself presentable to God. And he curses it. It looks good, it's green, there's foliage there, but there's no fruit. Religion will never produce fruit. Does God want fruit? I think that's what he's hungry for. Oh, he's hungry, like you and I would think of hunger, but I think he wants to see fruit in this nation that he called, and when he looks at the temple, there's no fruit, there's piracy, and he's had a belly full of it, and he just lets them know about his displeasure. And I think this is all saying the same thing. Jesus answers saying to them, have faith in God. So he takes this opportunity to teach them about faith in God. Yeah, I cursed the tree. It's cursed. What's your problem, guys? Have faith in God. For verily I send you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, shall, uh, which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. <sighs> problems, because there's going to be somebody say, see, blank check, God gives it to you. In this very book, in this very book, okay, I think it's in 13th or 14th chapter. I looked it up this morning, but I can't remember, okay? I can't remember everything. He's in the garden, and he prays, Lord, I don't want to drink this cup. Let it pass from me. Don't want it. Don't. But your will be done. Now let's take everything we know about prayer and fold it into. Is is there a, a place where we, whatsoever we want, God will give it to us? Yeah, it says so right here. And mountains being removed are, is an idiom for difficulties being solved. I never saw an actual mountain, that's to say a, a big mass of land being thrown into any ocean anywhere. So nobody's ever exhibited the right amount of faith. People will say, well, it's, you know, and they have faith in faith, and they will say a lot of things about it, but it, it Reality always hits it at some point, and they always come crashing into earth. They talk about, you know, how great faith they are, and I say, really? Go to Children's Hospital and empty it out. How come you're not hanging around the emergency room and someone comes in with a gunshot say, be healed, raise them right up? I mean, why do we have doctors anyway? Why don't we just have faith people? I mean, it, it's gonna, you're going to hit reality at some point. It doesn't work that way. You don't speak reality into existence. Is God a gracious, loving, heavenly Father? Yeah, he sure is. 
I could give you a list of all the prayers he answered in my life, but you have your own list. You know how God is. I don't have to enumerate. He's, he's answered many of your prayers as well. Have faith in God. Don't, you, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed. By the way, mountains uh, symbolically are governments in the book of Daniel. If you say to this mountain, be just a thought. Just a thought. I can't say much more. I'll get, I'll get in trouble. Uh, Whosoever shall say in this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he hath. Now, just because I've debunked your name it and claim it, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus is saying something. Trust God. Why? He loves you. Believe God. Trust in him. Childlike faith. Faith in faith, silly. Faith in God, who loves us and wants to bless us. Therefore, I say unto you, what, so think, what things, soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them. Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So that's that's it. And I, I think he's saying something. It's not again. Let's not. And much. Uh, teaching on prayer, all through Scripture, we can we can take Sunday, we can take a month of Sundays, two months of Sundays, and talk, teach about prayer and Scripture. But I'm just—it's kind of like a drive-by right here. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive uh, your trespasses. And if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Don't you ever want to say, Jesus, Jesus, focus. We're talking about prayer now, and now you're all over here talking about forgiveness. No, no, no. no. These go very, very, very well together. I'm praying to God, the forgiver, and I'm praying, I want blessing in my life. I want him to do, I, I had a bad doctor's report, and I want him to fix what's ailing me, that I'm, I'm sick, and God, would you heal me? I lost my job, and I want, to, I want to get reemployed before the bills get up over my head, and so I pray to God and say, Lord, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? And the whole time, I hate you because you stabbed me in the back and I can't get over it. And uh, so I have hatred and bitterness towards you and I'm praying that God will bless me. What's wrong with this picture? It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now listen, I, every time I talk about forgiveness, I get in trouble because somebody's going to tell me about why their situation is the exception. All your situations are the exception. Well, they don't deserve it. <laughs> That's a foregone conclusion. We know that. No more than you forgive. Uh, you, you deserve forgiveness. It's not a question of deserve. Um, so we, now, now listen, I want to say this, because I don't say this very often. Forgiveness is a crisis and a process. What do you mean? There's one time where you forgive somebody. You let them off the hook. You say, Lord, I, I'm living with the consequences first thing or last. I don't hold anything against them. You really turn the corner when you pray for them, pray for their blessing, pray for their welfare. And I say it's a process because you still feel really bad about being betrayed. You really feel bad about being stabbed in the back. You really feel bad about what's being done, what had been done to you. If it was nothing, there would be no reason to forgive. But it was something, and it was substantial, and it, and it hurts, and... Satan won't let it go. He's still going to, I forgave him. It's done. It's history. I wrote it in my 
logbook, in my diary. I, I, I can point to a time when this person worked me over like Jesse James, and I said, Lord, I'm not holding this against them. I forgive. 100%. Done. But I think about it, and I think, oh, and I still feel badly about it. And I saw, I'll, I'll forgive again, and I'll pray again, and I'll pray for their blessing. And then when I start to actually want their welfare, their God to bless them, that's when all bitterness disappears. It's a, it's a one-time shot, and then it becomes a process after that. That's how it works. So don't be, you forgive somebody, and you have to. Don't feel like, because you still feel poorly about what happened, that you're somehow second-rate Christians. It doesn't, no, it doesn't work that way. We still have these messy things called feelings. Ken's fond of saying, you know, men don't have feelings. That's not true. I mean, I, mean I, love, I, love, I love my pastor Ken. That's not exactly true. We have, we have them. We just don't go by them. But I don't care if you're a woman who is an ocean of emotion. You've got feelings galore. You can't go by them any more than a man can. We go by what the Word of God says. Is it hard? Yeah, but the Spirit is given. We can't do it in the flesh, but the Spirit is given, and He wants us to forgive. Or you'll have bitterness. If there's a third option, I promise, I, I, I promise to you, I would tell you. <laughs> you have forgiveness, you'll have bitterness. I want forgiveness. And I want, I don't want to stand praying and think of this myself, yeah, but I want this person to drop dead. I hope that a house falls on them. I hope that what they did to me gets done to them. Oh yeah, by the way, Lord, bless my uh, circumstances. <laughs> what? No, he's teaching, right? You want to pray, you want to believe, you want to trust God, and add to that, you want to forgive, okay? Let's keep moving. And they come again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. They come to him, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, But what authority doest thou those thi these things? Who gave this authority to do these things? Authority is a big question. Who, who gave the governor, governess uh, authority to close down church? Emergency powers. The First Amendment sure didn't. Authority is a big thing. When do we submit and when do we rebel? Authority is a big thing in many aspects of your life. Work, the boss is the authority. Government, the governmental authorities in, in civic, civil matters. The house, the husband's the head of the home. Unapologetically. And I say crazy things like that. I believe that in my whole heart. So I tell my wife, yeah, this is what's going to happen, and I just work, you know, treat her like a, a serf. And just... God's the head of our marriage, okay? So we can argue about who's the... But parents are over the children, and husband's over the wife in a loving, Christ-like, godly way. If he's doing it right, she won't chafe under... Uh, that authority any more than we chafe under the authority of Jesus Christ. Um, in church, it's the elders. Okay? It, it just is. Uh, I have authority in my life. Will God bless when I'm not under authority at all? He can't. He put these things in place. Don't, don't be tell me what to do. I, I don't care. Uh, I'll do what I want to do. And I, That 
has to fall. Don't we understand that? That has to be dealt with. God will not wink at us disobeying his word. I'm just telling you how it works, okay? Authority is a big question. When can you rebel against authority? When they're telling you to do something against the word of God. Then not only can you, you must. So I'm the head of my house and I say to my wife, uh, hey, let's uh, get involved in sin, let's uh, take drugs, let's do it. And she says, um, love you, no. <laughs> Good girl, that's great, that's what she's supposed to do. Um, you're, uh, you're, you're keeping books for a company. You, you, you do what your boss tells you to do. He says, let's fudge the books a little bit because let's make the, no, no. You can say this about government, you can say about you obey until you cannot obey anymore. Where's that line drawn? I can't talk about every little possible episode, every little, authority's a big question. And what are they asking him is, this is our temple. You come in here like you own it. <laughs> yeah, God's not welcome in his own house. It's kind of funny to me if you think it all the way through. And you go upset in our, we got, we got a, a way to do this. We got a status quo. We're religious people. We're professionals. You, you, you didn't graduate our schools. I don't know who you think you are is what they're saying. It's an authority question. By the way, he will answer them. He says he's not going to, but he will. Ah, Mark 14, verse 62. 61, the high priest asked him, and according to Matthew, he placed him under an oath, and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Any questions? He does answer them. He answers them in this chapter too. He says he's not going to, but he really does, okay? Just want to tell you that. And ultimately, that's the answer. Yeah, I am. Who's authority? Um, me. I'm the Christ. My authority. God told me. That's the answer, okay? And it really, really is. I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. You want to talk about authority? And coming in the clouds of heaven. Now that's, what, what, do, they, what do they glean from that? Coming to set up his kingdom. Oh, you want to talk about authority? Well, that's a story for another time. Let's go back to Mark, though. By what authority doest thou these things? Verse 28. Who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answers unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. You ask me two questions, I'll give you one question. And if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. Fair enough? The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. Oh my goodness. I love Jesus so much. I mean, I love Jesus so much. Don't you love Jesus so much? I love this, because they can't answer this. If they say, well, you know, we think John was a prophet. Then why didn't you believe him when he said about me, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the earth? He can't say we believe John was a prophet. They call, he called us a brood of vipers. <laughs> I don't think we're going to buy into the John is a prophet theory and his authority came from heaven. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. So why don't they just say, 
It's of men. Oh, because they're too weaselly. Because they got no spine. A man with no spine, even a woman with no spine, is a, that's, a, that's a, oh, it's such a sad thing. That's such a sad thing, isn't it? They got, they got no, and they reason with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did not, you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Was he? Oh, yeah. Jesus said the greatest one, born of men, accepting himself, of course. Yeah. And if we say, nah, he's no prophet, uh-oh. We're going to get stoned. It's going to go bad in a hurry. I say, cowardice is an ugly thing. Say what you've got to say. Say the truth. And let God worry about the, the consequences. They answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Is Jesus really withholding information? You can look at it that way. I think he's saying, listen, if you don't recognize John's authority, you don't recognize mine because they came from the same place. God sent John to baptize, to teach, to call the nation to repentance. He called me, he sent me to save mankind from sin. If you won't recognize the one, you won't recognize the other. Look at, we've talked about religion. Look at religion. I'm afraid I can't say the obvious truth because it puts me in a bad light. He called me a, Look at, look at religion, piracy, out-and-out out stealing. People come to Jerusalem, and they get robbed right and left. Jesus curses fig trees still, if you ask me. There's no fruit. It looks good. Religion won't. Religion won't give you love, peace, joy, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. If I set them all on, I set them on the right order or not. It won't produce fruit. Religion won't save anybody. And Jesus still hates it. So when I, when I, you know, we talk about religion around here a lot. The way I use the word, it always comes down to semantics, doesn't it? People say, oh, I understand you're real religious. I know what they're saying. I know it's not, they're not insulting me or anything. Or they're not insulting you. I know what they're saying. They're saying you believe in God. You, you take your spirituality very seriously. You actually have faith and you believe there's a God who can do things and benefit you. I, I know what they're saying. Yeah, we're that. Do I think that I'm going to make myself good with God by pulling myself up by my own bootstraps? It was a church that did that, and the book of Galatians has written that. You started out in the Spirit. You did so good. And now can you be made perfect in the flesh? And so many of us take that. I hope you're not right there this morning. So many of us take that road. We get saved. It's a spiritual work, and God's working in our heart. And then we want to please God, and we take this side road of legalism. It doesn't please God. It, 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 it simply, God says, you know, what is good? And what does the Lord require of thee? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with thy God. It's 
kind of easy peasy when you think it all the way through. Okay, I ran through these verses like crazy men, so the unthinkable has happened. We're, we're done early. Saying, I can get my money's worth. Uh, next week I'll go like 20 minutes over and make up for it, okay? <laughs> let's, uh, let's stand and pray and our worship uh, people will send us out of here in song. Father, we thank you for your word. And whether it takes a long time to develop or a short time, I just pray it will strike a chord in our hearts. We just want to walk humbly with you. We just want to do life together. We just want to love Jesus. And we know that you already love us. Lord, increase our desire to seek you, to, to want to be with you, to love you more all the time. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.